Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. I want you to do this. Would you stand to your feet with me just one more time? And uh, as we stand to our feet, I want you to stand as we read this word. We're going to stand for the whole thing, okay? And we'll pray, and then you can be seated. Watch it. Exodus chapter 23. This is a fascinating portion of Scripture. And, you know, can I say this before we get into this? I don't know if you all read the word this way, but this is the way I read the word. Don't ever read a passage like this and just take it at face. I like take it where, like, you're only looking at the historical situation or circumstance there. Realize in every phrase and every word God is speaking to us today. And look at that, at this verse in that light. God said, to, he says, behold, I send an angel before you. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him. This stuff blows my mind. God is saying, an angel. He said, beware of this angel. I'm sending this angel. Beware of him. Obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions. For my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, you know, it blows my mind when you see this stuff here, that you all know, we all know God speaks by his Holy Spirit to us, right? But you know what this is saying? That God speaks to us through angels. That, that there's an awareness that we need to have of angels. And he says, if you do that and you obey them, you obey them, do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Termites and the, and the Cellulites. That's the one we all wish we had authority over, right? The Cellulites. And I will cut them off. And you can, uh, I got a picture there. All right. And you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. God, right now in these next few moments, speak to us, O oh God. God, let your word pierce the hearts of my brothers and sisters. Lift us, shake us, change us, mold us. Father, speak today. Speak through me, and I give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 You can be seated. Let's walk through this quickly. Watch this. A number of lessons here. First of all, let's just stop and take the obvious fact here that God says, first of all, he says, We'll bring you, we'll keep you in the way, bring you into the place I prepared. God's saying things. He said, I'll defeat your enemies. God's giving us language here that for us New Testament Christians is basically speaking to us about all that God wants to do in our lives and all that he wants to do through us, fulfilling everything God put us here on the planet for. And in relation to that, God begins by talking about some angel that he sends before us. And you know, that just really hits me. God, many times today in our modern Christianity, we don't think about things like angels that much 
You know, they've been put on the back burner when the Bible is full of them from cover to cover. We see angels conquering enemies, feeding his prophets, protecting his saints, ministering to them. We see angels' activity all through the Bible. And we must understand that angels are an important part of God's work in our life. It's not that we are to focus on them. Our focus is to be on Jesus. But we are, according to this, to be aware of them. Are you with me now? Be aware. What does this represent to us? Angels, it's important to understand that angels, God has assigned angels to us, but really that represents all of God's supernatural assistance to us. Acknowledge that God has, has given us supernatural assistance to live out our life. Now let's talk about this angel. We know the Bible tells us that there are multitudes of angels that are assigned to us. The Bible says that we all have ministering spirits that are angels that come and many times will speak to us, many times will protect us. We're protected from things that we don't even know we're protected from at times. And those angels around us, they're here right now. The, according to the Bible, there are far more angels in this room than there are human beings right now. I don't know if that impresses you or not, but it impresses me. If our eyes were open, we would see this place jam-packed with angels who've walked into this place with us. But this, this angel that's spoken of here is not one of those angels. Because those angels are with us right now wherever we go. The Bible says, now think of this, this angel, he says, I'm sending before you. He said, this angel is not with you. This angel is going before you. How many of you all just see the distinction there? This angel I'm sending out there ahead of you in the future to do a work in your behalf to fight battles that you don't even know you're going to face until you get there, and they're already out there in the future conquering enemies and paving the way for you to fulfill my call in your life when you get there. Wow. Is that powerful? But the interesting thing is he says, these angels are assigned to bring you into the place I have prepared for you. So there's a prerequisite for us, for God activating this kind of angelic help in our behalf. And that is that in order to have angels sent before you to prepare the way, you have to have been one of those who have accepted God's ministry assignment in your life. What I mean is this, there are a lot of Christians today that cry out for help, God help me, but because they've come into the body of Christ, they say, they've prayed the prayer, they've said, all right, I'm a Christian, I've been forgiven of my sins, but then they just sit, they come to church, hear a good message, maybe read their Bible a little bit, pray some, but go about their life, running their own life, not really giving thought to God's call and God des God's destiny on their life. Those people cry out from help for help, but they get no help. But this kind, because this kind of help is for those who've accepted God's assignment. In other words, there's a, something very important for us to understand, and that is that when we're born again, folks, there is a goal that's placed in our spirit that we are not saved in order to sit. We're saved in order to be sent. Oh, that was good right there. Y'all with me now? It's true. 
And the thing is, is that you'll never be happy or satisfied or content until you take up God's mantle on your life. The call of God to go, to do what he wants you to do. The interesting thing it says here, look at this. It says, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place I have prepared for you. Sometimes the littlest words speak the biggest revelations to me. And it's certainly the case here. It says, notice he says, this angel is to bring you into the place I have prepared for you. That word I stood out to me one day. God says, I have sent an angel before you to bring you into the place I have prepared for you. I read it again and again. I have prepared. The Lord says, the message is this. I have not sent you help to bring you into the place you have prepared for yourself. I've, I've given you help to bring you into the place I have prepared for you. God says many Christians are mistaken with this idea that they come to Christ and then they get all this help so God can help them to have the life that they want, to fulfill the dreams that they have, you know, to, you know, to be happy. You know, it's like God lives to make me happy and make me comfortable. And God says, I all, I've never obligated myself to bring your dreams to pass. I've only obligated myself to bring my dreams to pass, God says. Ha, hallelujah. You say, well, hasn't God said, the Bible said in Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart? That's absolutely right. But if you read that in the original language, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will create in you the desires of your heart. Which means you come to Christ and he completely renews and sanctifies all of your desires and dreams. God is not here to make our dreams come to pass. Many people have this idea, I get saved. You even hear these altar calls sometimes today. Come to Jesus. You know, you know, say yes to him and you'll be forgiven. All your fears will be washed away. Your hurts will be gone. Your wounds will be cleansed. And, you know, everything will be all right. And there you'll all be happy. And I ask you the question, is that really the truth? You know, I'm asking a question. Is that really the truth? Is it true that when we come to Jesus, that everything in our life is all of a sudden made right? Everything is put in order. And I tell you, it's not true. And the fact that it's not true is not some kind of negative point here. It's actually a positive in this way. And that is that many people, because they feel like they have this wrong idea that if I come to Jesus, Jesus is here revolving around me to help solve all my problems right now. They don't understand that there's a difference between salvation and sanctification. Salvation is something that happens instantly when you give your life to Christ. Salvation is a process that has worked out the rest of your life. That's exciting, isn't it, huh? Y'all about jumped up and down about that, didn't you, huh? And the thing is, is you, when you realize what sanctification is, it is the most exciting thing in the world. Because listen, salvation is the forgiveness of our sins. It's what happens when you come to Christ, you're forgiven, you're made right with God. Sanctification is what begins at that moment and takes place the rest of your life. 
You, you, the picture is clear in the Old Testament with Israel. Israel was in Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. And the type of sin. And God delivered them out of Egypt in one night. And they did nothing except kill a lamb. Israel did nothing but kill a lamb and then offer the blood. That's the only thing. There's nothing they could do to deliver themselves. That's salvation. God delivering us only by his own blood from the sin and the bondage of this world. But then Israel, once they're delivered, they begin this process through the wilderness into the promised land. Salvation was instantaneous, but sanctification took a lifetime. Are you with me now? Hallelujah. Let me tell you something. The beginning of your faith just takes a moment, but freedom takes a lifetime to walk out. And the reason this is so important, folks, is that really is the rest of your life. If you want describe to you what spiritual growth is about, what it means to become a spiritual Christian, to grow strong in the Lord, what it means is to grow in this process of continually conquering the enemies that are left in your life after God saved you. Are you with me now? And the reason that's important for people to understand is because when they don't understand that, it's inevitable. All people in this place, there's a ton of you. You got saved, but there's still something hanging on in your life. There's something that God has left there. And you can't understand it. And it ends up making you feel guilty or kind of condemned. Because you feel, I've heard it a thousand times, you feel like, well, you know what? I've been a Christian this long. I've been growing in the Lord. I should have been able to conquer this. I've heard it happen with physical sicknesses. You know, people dealing with pain. And they've come to me, the godly people, and they say, uh, they feel condemned. Pastor, I should have been in my faith, but this time should have been able to conquer this. And I ask, why is it that God leaves certain things in our life and he takes away others? The Bible says here, look at the next few verses down. He says in the verse, Exodus 23 and verse 28, he says, and I will send hornets before you which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year. Now, this is what's important. He said, I will drive them out, but not in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. Herein is the key to why God leaves stuff in our life that we have to deal with. God says, I'm going to drive your enemies out. He said, but I'm not going to do it all at one time. I'm going to do it little by little. Why, God? Why? Why not all at once? I've gotten tired of hearing people say, Pastor, why doesn't God just take this away from me? I especially heard about it with sins, things that they think, I don't want this. Why doesn't God just take it away? I said, don't you get it? God's not going to take it away. You say, why not? It's because he is left things 
so that little by little, as you conquer them, notice what he said, that you may increase. See, many times we're looking at God as, God, we're wanting our blessings to increase. God's looking at us and he's saying, I want you to increase. Y'all with me now? In other words, for so many times we are focused on the promise. God, I want the promise. And God's crying back to us say, hey, I want you to engage in the process. You're thinking promise, I'm thinking process. You remember the disciples whenever Jesus was almost ready to go to the cross and the disciples grabbed him and said, no, Lord, we don't want you to go to the cross. And Jesus picks up this clump of grapes. And he picks up this clump of grapes and he says, look at this, guys. See how these grapes grow? He said, so it is. This is the way that God's going to bring in the kingdom of God and the way Rome is going to be overthrown. In other words, the disciples were wanting Jesus Look, watch this. They were wanting Jesus to go ahead and occupy what God had promised them, but they wanted it now without the process. Because listen to this. You know what the process involved? The process involved pain. They had, they had to go, Jesus had to go through the process of the cross to get the promise God's way. Oh, yeah, listen, you get that. That's good. Listen, but the disciples wanted to cut, shortcut the process. Listen, that is Satan's temptation so many times to us. You know, there's a, pass, there's a passage in Luke 4. I mean, I didn't plan on saying this, but just so I don't have the scripture up there. But listen, you know, it's the temptation of Jesus. You remember the story? And Satan takes him over the mountain, and then he tempts Jesus. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, see all these kingdoms of the world. He said, I'll give you all these kingdoms and their glory. Watch this. If you'll just bow down and worship me. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. It's only God that gets my worship. I love this. I was meditating that one day, and I all of a sudden got insight to what the real temptation was. You get this, listen. Satan, watch this. If you see this, you're going to see a real principle how God tempts all of us. How Satan, I'm sorry, Satan tempts all of us. Satan was tempting Jesus with what God had already promised him, but he was tempting Jesus to get it without the process. You see, he offered him the kingdoms of the world, and what had the Father already promised him? He had already promised that I'm going to give you the kingdoms of the world. All of them shall become the kingdoms of our Lord. Every knee shall bow before him. Jesus already had that promise. Satan wasn't offering him anything new, but to get it God's way, he had to go through the process of pain, and through the process of God's dealings of the cross, he would get to the promise eventually. And Satan was saying, I can give you the kingdoms of this world, and they won't cost you any pain because you can get them now. One of the greatest temptations to Christians by Satan today is to get stuff now without any pain what God has designed for us down the road, but it's going to cost us a process that we must walk through. Aren't you all glad I came today <laughs> to preach it? No, I didn't. 
y'all get this wonderful message about the cross and pain. But you know what the amazing thing is, Pastor Frank, Frank, you know the amazing thing is, sometimes people like to talk about these things and preach about them. But you know what? When we don't preach about them and talk about them, still everybody's dealing with them. Still everybody's thinking about it when they go home. We all deal with this process. It's, it's, it's an undeniable process that God has designed. That we look for the instantaneous miracle. God looks for the process. And sometimes the process is painful. You know, some of you had to deal with sickness for a long time, and you've grown in the Lord, and you think, you thought, man, I don't understand why this thing's left in my life. Now, here's the whole point. Some of you, because of that, you, it, you, make, you allow that to make you feel condemned, and you feel unspiritual. You think something must be wrong with me. And what I'm telling you today is nothing is wrong with you. Nothing's wrong. Welcome to the worldwide human existence. You know, Smith Wigglesworth, one of the great men of God of the past, had great miracle meetings. For years, he dealt with kidney stones. He would lay in his apartment with kidney stones, come down time for the service, have a miracle meeting, see multitudes of people healed, go back up and get in bed and writhe in pain with kidney stones. Now, you know, a lot of people would look at that and they say, well, I just don't understand. You know, how could that happen? How could God allow it? How, what, where is God? And all, you know, all these questions. And Smith Wigglesworth was smart enough to say, just keep your mouth shut. There's a lot of stuff we don't know and we'll never know. Your brain is not near as big as you think it is. <laughs> it always amazes me how intellectuals, so-called intellectuals, you know, these atheistic or agnostic intellectuals, Supposing one of them said, you know, if I was God, I would have done a better job at making a human being. He said, I would have made one who could not fall, who did not have the possibility of falling. And I thought, you idiot. You don't get what God wanted. If you made a human being that could not fall, it meant that he had no free will. If he has no free will, then he has to love you. If he can't choose not to love you, then him choosing to love you means nothing. I mean, you know, my wife and I have been married 46 years. But let me tell you something. 46 years ago when she stood at that altar and she said, I do. The only thing that called, made that mean anything to me is that I knew she could have just as easily said, I don't. Are you with me now? And God didn't want robots. He wanted love beings. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Yeah. I love that. And so our brains aren't near as big as we think they are. Can I just tell you one thing that will help you come to rest? Is to just stop all of your stupid, crazy questions that you feel God owes you. Pastors get, as pastor for many years, you get so many questions, 
and a lot of them are good, but you get all these questions that I can't possibly answer. Well, why did they die? We prayed and they died. I think, I don't know. And then people ask me, they say, well, doesn't that make you question God? Does it make you doubt him? I go, you got to be kidding me. Watch this. Think of this logic. For me to end up doubting God because I don't understand what went wrong would be for me to say that my brain is bigger than God, that I know everything God knows. So God owes me an answer because I should know everything because I'm that smart. And if I know everything, that makes me God and not God God. So one of the greatest favors you can do yourself as a Christian, yes, study diligently to learn and grow in the knowledge of the Lord and in his word, but learn to lay the stuff upon the shelf that you can't figure out. It's not a cop-out. If God was a God that we could completely understand and know in detail, then he wouldn't be a God that would deserve our awe-inspired worship. Awe and wonder is only compelled through something that is beyond the realm of understanding. Hallelujah. And when you get that, it makes you happy. What I don't know doesn't discourage me. It encourages me because it lets me know that I've got a God who's up to something bigger than what I can figure out right now. Yeah, come on, give the Lord praise in this place. You know, I'm going to ask you, y'all getting something? Can you get this today? Like this, look, this message, messages like this are born out of 40-something years of pastoring. You just pastor long enough, and you see people's pains. You see what they're dealing with. And I'm just tired of people coming to church, swaying back and forth and worship. Woo, yeah, having a good hug and fellowship. And then going back home, confused, frustrated. It's time to let that stop. Just come to rest in the arms of God and believe. Just let him catch you and believe he's got you. You know what that requires? It requires a divine exchange. I'll talk about this some tonight. So don't miss tonight, but it requires a divine exchange. Your life for his life. You see, coming to Christ and becoming a Christian is not about making a decision. It's about making a devotion of your entire life. And until you do that, until everything you are and have and ever will be is totally in the hands and control of God and out of your hands, you will never, ever come to rest in your soul. You will always end up being frustrated. You know, when I grew up in church, my mom and dad were like the main pillars in the church. They, they kept all the preachers that came through town. They stayed in my, slept in my bed, ate my food. They stayed up at night, had parties, and put us kids to bed on the floor. And I grew up hating these preachers. 
Matter of fact, I hated him so much as I got to be a teenager. I told all my friends, I said, I'll do anything for God, but I'll never be one of those preachers. I'll, you mark my word, I'll never be a preacher. Finally, I got to the age I went to university. At university, I met my future wife, Donna. I fell in love with her. I came to her one day on campus, and I said, Donna, I fall in love with you. Will you marry me? She said, Rick, she says, I fall in love with you too. I love you, but I can't marry you. I said, why? She says, because you've told everybody on campus that you'll never be a preacher. I said, so? She said, when I was 14 years old, I got down on my knees and gave my whole life and future to God. And God said, if I would surrender all to him, when I grow up and become an adult, I'll meet a man. He's going to be a preacher, and I'll marry him, and we'll travel the world together preaching the gospel. <laughs> I thought, ooh, maybe I can rethink this then. We'll see. <laughs> Sorry to say, I wasn't in that frame of mind. And so I said to my wife, I said, you know, look, I love you, but... I'm, I'm not being a preacher. I'm not going to be a preacher. You can mark that one down. So let's just go ahead and separate, break up, and you go your way, I go my way. And, and then, you know, but I still love you, so if you change your mind, come back and let me know. And so many weeks passed. We've been separated. And finally one day I looked and I saw my wife coming across campus, crawling to me back on her hands and knees like this. It was something like that. The details are vague. It's been a long time ago, but it's kind of like that. My wife's not here. I'm sure she would straighten, you know, it out, but here she comes, and we get, of course, we get married. One year passes, two years pass, three years pass. With each passing year, the dealings of God begin to grow so strong upon me, I couldn't hardly stand it. I don't know if some of you know what it's like for God dealing with you where you just, you hate your life. You're just miserable. You can't stand anything. I got to that place. I didn't know what was going on at the time. I didn't even know really it was a deal with God. Finally, after three years, I came home from work one night, and I fell across the bed and started literally pouring out tears, crying like a baby, and I cried, God, what are you doing? God, what's going on in my life? God, help me. I, what are you going, what's going on? And all of a sudden, here I am. I'm, 20, I'm 21 years old. And all of a sudden, I have an open vision. Never experienced anything like this in my life. I have an open vision, and all the open vision was was a blank piece of paper. A blank piece of paper. That's it. And at the bottom of the piece of paper, I saw a place for someone to sign their name. I said, God, what is this? And the Lord said, this is my will for the rest of your life. Now sign it. I said, but God... If this is a contract we're dealing with here, I've signed contracts. Don't you need to fill it in so I can see the details that I'm agreeing to? He said, no. You sign it, and then I'll fill it in the rest of your life. I instantly understood what true lordship was all about. In that vision, I saw my hand trembling, pick up the pen. I began to sign my name at the bottom of that blank piece of paper. And when I finished signing my name, Dude, I knew it was over. By the, I, I was signing my life away. I put the pen back on the table. As soon as the pen hit the table, I heard God say, Now go preach the gospel. I thought, God, I knew you were going to say that. That's why I didn't want to sign it. <laughs> but it's too late. It's done. My life was over. 
And for some reason, all of a sudden, I was happy about it. Everything completely changed. I changed. Remarkably, within days, I had left, and I was on the road traveling, trying to preach everywhere I could preach. And now it's been 40-some years, 45 years later. My wife and I have traveled the world just like the Lord told her. We've preached the gospel in so many places around the world. And can I tell you, we've had the time of our life. Unbelievable. The life we have, it's a dream. The things that we've been able to do and see, the people's lives change. It's been incredible. And when I look back before I sign that blank piece of paper, do you know what the life was that I was so rigidly holding on to that I was afraid I was going to lose if God if I really signed my life over completely to God you know what it was in America we call them Twinkie salesmen I was a Twinkie salesman in America we have these little yellow cakes called Twinkies they sell them in stores and every morning at 5.30, I would take my Twinkie, Twinkie truck with a big Twinkie on the side of it back up to the Twinkie bakery. I'd fill it up with Twinkies, get in the truck with my big Twinkie suit with a big Twinkie on the front, my Twinkie hat with a big Twinkie on the hat, and I would go off to sell my Twinkies. And that's the life that I was holding on to. I thought, God, that is a picture of all the lives that people hold on to the Twinkie lies we're holding on to. When we don't realize, if we totally give up the reins, little by little, God will work this life where all of our enemies will be defeated and God's purpose will be fulfilled in our life. Amen. Come on, give the Lord praise in this place. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.